All right. Hey, how about, how about uh, Brendan and the worship team? Can we give it up for them? Thank you so much. You guys did an incredible job this morning. And um, just very quickly want to want to highlight uh, Pastor Ben and his beautiful wife Sarah are in the back. Sarah, we've seen you the last couple of weeks. And uh, uh, but Pastor Ben, can we welcome and just say hi to Pastor Ben and Sarah? I, they probably would have preferred for me not to say anything, but we love you. And it's so good to see you guys. Pastor Ben has taken on a position with Teen Challenge uh, here in our valley, and we're really proud of him and also uh, our, our local Teen Challenge as well. And uh, I got news. Uh, Jim Crum, are you here? Jim and your beautiful wife, are you guys here? Is Jim here? Does anyone know? There you are. Jim, I love you, man of faith. You're here, and I love you. Can we welcome Jim and his beautiful family? For those of you who don't know Jim, Jim has been... Uh, He's been out for some time, and, um, and so we've been believing God for a miracle, and for him sitting here, this is a miracle, amen? And so we, uh, we love you, Jim. And um, listen, so good to be with all of you. We uh, want to give a shout out as well to all of our friends and family watching online. Thank you for tuning in. We love you. We care about you. Can we welcome our online community this morning? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, listen, we are going to be uh, continuing our series uh, in fact, we're concluding our series today. Can I hear a big ah? Yeah, we're concluding our series uh, that we started a number of weeks ago on the book of Daniel, and uh, we're concluding that today. And the, the title of today's message is, How Will All This End? How Will All This End? And so I want you to go ahead and turn to two places in your Bible uh, this morning. Uh, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 24 and then put a bookmark in Daniel chapter 9. Matthew 24 and Daniel 9. If you've got a paper Bible, uh, turn to Matthew 24. And uh, if you've got a ribbon like I do, put your ribbon in Daniel chapter 9. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. We're going to begin there in just a moment. And then we're going to uh, head on over into the book of Daniel. If you're using a smart device, then click on Matthew 24. Uh, there are going to be a number of other scriptures that we're going to use. All of them are going to be on the screen behind me. Encourage you to jot down those references and uh, maybe studying them when you go home uh, today and, and throughout this week. Uh, but we've been uh, in a series called The Book of Daniel uh, where we've been learning how to live bold in an ungodly culture. And so we've been seeing through the Book of Daniel and learning, you know, how, how do you live in a culture that, that is anti-God, that, that really is trying to uh, make us to lower our standards and to not, and to not follow God. How, how do you live in that kind of culture? And we've been learning a number of things, studying the book of Daniel, which is a major prophet, and, um, and that's, been, that's been wonderful. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to answer the question, how will all of this end? And here's how we're going to do that. For those of you who love lists, you love lists, we are going to... Uh, do a miracle is going to happen this morning. In the next 25 minutes, we are going to explain and unpack the rest of the book of Daniel, the last six chapters, and the 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. We're going to unpack it. We're going to give you some lists. And then after we, we, we do some teaching and give you some lists to write down, then we're going to bring the application uh, some very important things that we're going to write down because not only do we want to give you information, but uh, information without transformation is pointless. Amen? We want to be able to answer the question for you today with everything that we're going to learn, 
is why does this matter to us and how should we live in light of what we've just learned okay and so we're gonna look at the book of uh, Daniel in just a moment um, the last six chapters uh, are basically dreams and prophecies and visions that Daniel would have three actually in all and in, in the last uh, six chapters of the book of Daniel Daniel actually saw the future he saw future events but where I want to start this morning is in the book of Matthew we're gonna start in the book of Matthew and see if you can go ahead and turn there Matthew 24 and this is what one of the things we're gonna find here is that Jesus himself validates Daniel and his writings as a prophetic book and I want us to see that first so Matthew 24 beginning with verse 3 the Bible says as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives the disciples came to him privately and said tell us they said when will all of this happen which is a question that all of us and and believers over the decades and over the centuries have had when is all of this going to happen to which Jesus is gonna reply and he replies it in, in another in another story listen guys I don't even know when this is gonna happen the angels don't know when this is all gonna happen but only the father knows and when he's ready he'll let me know and I'll come and get you right so when is all this gonna happen Jesus said I can't answer that question but hen but then here's the other question and what will the sign of your coming and of the end of the age be what will the signs of your coming be to which Jesus begins to respond and he begins to tell him in other words that question I can answer and he begins to give his disciples the signs of his coming all of them uh, by the way um, not, not simultaneously but the signs that Jesus begins to give them um, these signs have happened throughout our generations and in fact uh, because one generation maybe experiences one of these signs uh, it, it's like every generation has always thought that this is the generation when Jesus will return because they see one of these signs happening in their generation but here's something that's very powerful and very unique none of them none of the other gener previous generations have ever had all of the signs at the same time with the exception of one generation guess which one our generation we are living in a day and in an age when when we look at all of the signs that Jesus gave and the Bible gives that points to hey folks Jesus is coming he's at the door the end of the age is coming soon we are living in a moment and in a generation where all of the signs are happening simultaneously and so it should cause us to kind of you know lean forward in our seats and listen and find out what God has to say about the day that we're living in let's read some of these signs let's look at verse 12 we're gonna read just a few verses Jesus will go on to say that because of the increase of wickedness that's one of the signs there's gonna be an increase of wickedness or moral decay in society is gonna happen I don't know about you but maybe you've seen something or read something or heard something and and you think to yourself it can't get crazier or more wicked than this only to find out next week that it does right and and so that's what Jesus is saying wickedness is gonna increase moral decay another sign is that the love of most will grow cold and you see that happening but he who stands firm to the end will be saved verse 14 he shares another sign and this gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And that word nations, the Greek, is, is ethnos, which does not mean geographical uh, nations, boundaries. It actually means ethnic groups or people groups. And so he's saying that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony. Every people group on the planet will have an opportunity to hear the gospel and respond, and then the end will come. 177 nations in the world today, 16,510 people groups. Out of those people groups, there are still 6,672 unreached people groups, meaning they have yet to hear the good news of Jesus. And to that, my response is, what are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? And understand that a lot of what you give, when you give to missions, and when you give over and above the tithe, we want to be very intentional, not just our campus, but all eight campuses, and our leadership, our bishop, and elders, and we want to be very intentional that some of our giving goes to reach unreached people groups, people that have never heard the good news of Jesus. We want to play a part in that. That's, a, that's over three billion people who have never heard the good news of Jesus. Jesus is saying that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached. And once everyone has an opportunity to have heard, then the end will come. Verse 15. And this is a very interesting sign that Jesus talks about, and it's a very important verse. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, what's the holy place? It's the temple in Jerusalem. When you see standing in the temple in Jerusalem, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and in quotes he has, the abomination that causes desolation. What is that? We're going to unpack that a little bit. You'll get a, more, a better understanding of what that means. But basically it's this. It's whenever the Antichrist takes a statue of himself and places it in the temple in Jerusalem and demands the world to bow down and worship that statue. When you see that happening, when you see that, and he's saying that's going to happen, and he goes on to really validate Daniel when he says, and this was spoken of through the prophet Daniel, and then he says, let the reader understand. Now, let me tell you, it's hard for the reader to understand. Because it's complicated. You go home and read the rest of the book of Daniel, the last six chapters, and you're going to come away with, it's complicated. You go and dive into the book of Revelation because you think it's just an exciting story and you want to know how all of it's going to end, you're going to come away with, it's complicated. Because it is, folks, it's complicated. But what, we're wanted, what we want to do here today is we want to try to uncomplicate some things and we want to bring some understanding of how all of this is going to end. And then at the end of the message, we're going to give you some very practical application to answer the question for you, what do we do with this information? Why does it matter to us? And then at the end of the message, we are going to partake of, of communion together and uh, it's going to be a very incredible time. And then we're going to give people an opportunity to receive prayer if you need prayer. All right? So you guys ready? Ready to dive right in? Wonderful. Okay. So go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 9. And if you want to put that verse up, the first verse up, Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And um, 
In Daniel chapter 9, that verse that we're looking at, that first verse, it starts off where Daniel is, what he's doing is he's summarizing all three of the dreams that he's had or the visions that he's had. He's summarizing his dreams and, he's, and he calls it the 77s, the 77s, the 77s. What's the 77s? The 77s, listen, are 70 periods of seven years. Some of your translations say 70 weeks, but the Hebrew word shuai'a simply means a series of sevens. So it could be seven days, as in a week, or it could be seven months, or it could be seven years. And we've grown to understand that what Daniel is saying, that this is a period, a period of seven years, 70 of them, right? And so 70 years, 70, 70 years, seven years. So, he, so basically this, 70 times seven years is 490 years. That's what you need to know. That Daniel saw... 490 years into the future, of future events, prophetically. And one of the things that I want you to see is that most of all that he saw has already been fulfilled. And he breaks them down into segments, and we're going to see that in just a moment. There's three major segments of the 77s. Let's pick up in verse 24. 77s, or 490 years, are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree, in other words, from this moment that this decree is going forth, Daniel is saying, start counting now. From the moment that I'm making this decree, from the issuing of the decree to the restoration and the rebuilding of Jerusalem, until the anointed one, Jesus, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens. And how many years is that? It's 49 years. So Daniel was saying, from the moment that I'm making this decree, there's going to be seven periods of sevens. 49 years. In 49 years, Daniel is saying, Jerusalem will be rebuilt and restored. And he didn't even know, he had no clue that this actually happened during the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. Two more books in your Bible. That under that leadership, under the rulership of King Cyrus, the Persian king, that Jerusalem would be restored. And Daniel accurately prophesied, listen, to the year that from this moment of declaration, in 49 years, Jerusalem would be restored. And it happened. And then he goes on to say, and then there are going to be 62 sevens. Did the math for you. That's 434 years. So from the moment Jerusalem is restored under Nehemiah and Ezra, 49 years, another 434 years, something significant is going to happen. The anointed one. Jesus, the ruler, is going to come. He's going to come, and let's continue to read in verse 26. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. What's he prophesying? The anointed one 
In fact, the word Messiah in the Hebrew, Messiah, it means anointed one. Who's the Messiah? Jesus. What's Daniel prophesying? Daniel is prophesying that, that 49 plus 434 years, in 483 years, the Messiah will show up and then he will be cut off. Here's why this is exciting to me. Because to the day that Daniel prophesied that in 483 years Messiah would be cut off, to the day Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he was crucified, and Daniel prophesied it. Come on, somebody, this is powerful. And he says, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. He also prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. That happened in AD 70. In AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and he's prophesying this 483 years later. The end will come, he continues to say, like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. Look at verse 27, very important. And then he, who's he? The Antichrist. The Antichrist will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, which means for seven years. Daniel was prophesying that there is coming a real person known as the Antichrist. Now, that's not going to be his name. He's not going to show up on CNN or on Fox one morning and say, hey, everybody, I'm the Antichrist. But this person will be the Antichrist. And what he's saying here is that he's going to confirm a covenant for many for one seven. What covenant is he going to confirm? I strongly believe that he's going to confirm, he's going to bring a peace treaty with Israel and some of the um, Islamic nations that surround Israel, maybe even the Palestinians that live there, the Arab community that lives within Israel that many in the world call uh, Palestinians, that there's going to be a peace treaty signed, something that world leaders have been trying to do for years. And here this person is going to come and he's going to be able to create a covenant, a peace treaty. But then it goes on to say that in the middle of the seven, so after three and a half years of this peace treaty, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, which, which presupposes that there will be a third temple rebuilt in Jerusalem. Here's the thing. There is no temple in Jerusalem right now. But what was so powerful is this. What's so powerful is that when Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, they were exiled. Listen, Israel had ceased to be a nation. Israel ceased to be a nation. And so the Romans, they wanted to so obliterate the Jewish people and, and so condemn them and bring them down so low that it was around that time period that Rome, when they took over that land, they decided to, to so uh, put down the Jewish people and, and take away any Jewish identity from the land that they decided to, to give uh, the, the name to that land of, of Palestina in reference to the Philistines. And so that's why we know it, you know, today many people call it Palestine. But that, that was really Rome's way of trying to really hurt the Jewish people. Here's what you need to understand. There was no Israel after that moment. There, there was no land. There was no people. There was no Israel. Jewish people were always in the land, still in the land. But there was no Israel. 
And can I tell you that never in the history of humanity has a nation ever ceased to exist and then become a nation again all of a sudden, except from one nation, and that is the nation of Israel. And so now for over 70 years, Israel is again, and we're looking at this prophetic picture, and here's what we don't see there today. We don't see a temple. And so some people will ask, well, is this ever going to happen? There's no temple, and for there to be a construction of a temple, I mean, that may cause World War III, and I get it, I understand it. But here's, here's what's powerful. If you come with us to Israel next year, we're going to be leading a trip in March of next year. One of the places we'll take you, take you to is a place, it's just powerful. It's a place where they're actually housing all of the articles of worship, all of the priestly garments, everything prepared to the exact measurements that the Bible tells them to, everything that's needed so that when the temple is once again built up, all they need to do is move everything in. The table of showbread is ready, the trumpets are ready, the candelabras are ready, all of the instruments of worship and sacrifice, everything is ready. All that's needed to remain is for that temple to be erected, and once it happens, Daniel is prophesying, and Jesus prophesied it as well, because he used the same word, the, 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 uh, the, des the abomination that causes desolation. When, when the temple is there, this Antichrist figure is going to come, he's going he's to cause there to be a treaty. And in the middle of that, that seven years, when that treaty begins, it be begins seven years, in three and a half years, the Bible says that he will put an end to sacrifice and offering in the temple, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation, a statue of himself to be worshipped, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay, let me summarize this real quick. It's on the screen behind you. Jot these down. Uh, Daniel chapter 6. Daniel is talking about 77s. 77s equals 490 years of prophecy. 490 years of prophecy. 483 of the 490 years, listen to me, have already been fulfilled. Right? The first 49, Jerusalem was rebuilt under Nehemiah and Ezra. And then 434 years, Jesus came and was crucified. 483 years have already been fulfilled. So if Daniel was correct to the day and the year, for 483 years of the 490, how many believe that there's a good chance that he got the last seven right? Come on, somebody. So 400 out of the, 483 out of the 49 years have been fulfilled, 49 years to rebuild the temple, 434 years later Jesus gave his life, there are seven years of prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And to me that should be the part that should be interesting to you. Because listen to me, Daniel talked about it, Jesus talked about it, the apostle Paul talked about it, Peter talked about it, and John talked about it in the book of Revelation. And so we're going to look at the book of Revelation. Listen, like I said, there's going to be a lot of teaching up front, and then we're going to move into application, all right? You guys good so far? You guys understand the 77s? Come on, you didn't even go to Bible college. Come on. There you go. All right, we're going to give you some more. We're going to give you another list, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to unpack the book of Revelation as quickly as possible. The book of Revelation is an important book because it also talks about the end of days. And I want to give you 10 events in the book of Revelation, and then we'll get into application. So here's the first event that you, that you come across in the book of Revelation. The first one is what we call the church age. The church age, you find that in, in Revelations 2 and 3. It's the church age. And so we're not only to read 
and study this, but we're to live out these two chapters. Because Jesus is saying in those chapters, here are seven things that I want my church to be focused on in Revelations 2 and 3. It's the church age. Followed by, number two, the second event, the rapture. Now, there is some disagreement, even among followers of Jesus, of when the rapture is actually going to happen. Many believe that it's going to happen before the seven-year tribulation period, only because the church is not mentioned anymore after Revelation chapter 3. There's just no mention of the church. So many believe that the church is going to be raptured uh, before everything just breaks loose on the planet. Some believe it's going to be in the middle. Some believe it's going to be at the end. Listen, whatever you believe is fine, but here's what we can all agree on. It's going to end the same way. Come on, somebody. Jesus is king, and he's going to return to planet Earth. Amen? And so, and so the rapture is the second thing. What's the rapture? It's whenever the church gets caught up to meet Jesus in the air. It's in Revelation 4. And then it's the rise of the Antichrist. The third, that's number three, the rise of the Antichrist in Revelation chapter 6. And here's, here's what's so interesting. Daniel saw this person. Daniel saw this person. And he saw that he would broker a deal with Israel. And then once that treaty was signed, once that treaty was signed, it would begin the last seven years that have yet to be fulfilled. These are signs, church. When you see that treaty being signed, that brokers a deal, a peace agreement that everyone's in favor of. When you see that happen, understand that that begins the seven-year period, which is number four, the next event, the tribulation period. And here's what's interesting. In the book of Revelation, John, God himself, he takes Revelations chapter 6 all the way through chapter 19 to talk about one event. Guess what event that is? The tribulation period, the seven years that have yet to be fulfilled. The majority of the book of Revelation is focused on this seven-year period. Revelation 6 through 19, the seven-year period. The next event is the second coming of Christ. Revelation 19, to that which you must get a lot more excited than you just were. I just said that Jesus is coming back. Come on, somebody. We're his biggest fans here. So Revelation 19 is the next event. It talks about the return of Jesus, the second coming of Christ. And some ask, well, why hasn't he come back sooner? And Jesus himself gave you that answer. He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to return, but he is patient. Why? Not willing for anyone to perish. God is patient, but we must be proactive. He is patient. He's not slow in keeping his promise. He's just patient. God is looking at the sentence and says, no, not yet. No, not yet. No, not yet. Because there's still unreached people groups. There's still people in your community, in your family, that God is saying, I want them to be a part of this. I want them to be saved. I want them to have eternal life. Isn't God good? Isn't God amazing? He's a good God. Go ahead and give him thanks for just a moment. Now, so the second coming of Christ, when he returns, one of the things that will happen is that the Satan and the Antichrist, he's going to put them into a bottomless pit. Listen, I, I know this sounds far-fetched, but here's my point. I've already made it. Out of 490 years that Daniel saw, 
483 of them have already happened to the exact T as to what Daniel prophesied. And so if I was a betting man, and I'm not, I would bet the farm that these seven years will happen because he got the 483 right already. Because this is not just Daniel prophesying. This is a man inspired by the Holy Spirit telling people and the church, here's what's going to happen in the future. Come on, somebody. Right? All right, here's what comes. Here's the sixth event. Number six is the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't you love it? It's a party. It's a celebration. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, Revelations 19. You've got to understand, listen, you've got to understand your future. Your future is not to die and go to heaven and live in eternity singing in a choir. Your future is not becoming a fat baby floating on a cloud strumming a harp. That's not your future. Yes, when you die... Your earthly suit gets buried, but your soul and spirit, which is eternal, you're immediately in the presence of Christ. You're in heaven. But guess what? We're coming back. With who? With Jesus. And we're going to rule and reign on planet earth. Come on, somebody. It's the merit. And the first thing that we're going to do when we all get together, those that remain will be caught up, and then, and then Jesus will return with the church. Those that have already died will return. The first thing we do is going to party. We're going to throw a big celebration called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's going to be some amazing food. It's going to be some patelillos, some acapurrias, some rellenos, some arroz con gandules. Come on. It's going to be good food. What would you say, Pastor? Google it. Not now. When you get home. <laughs> Come on. All right, here, here's, the, here's the seventh event. It's, it's the millennium. What's the millennium? It's the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. The thousand-year reign is Revelations chapter 20. The thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, where Christ will literally reign for a thousand years on planet earth. You may be wondering what kind of, what kind of leader is he going to be? Is he going to be conservative? Is he going to be liberal? Is he going to be a right wing? Is he going to be left wing? kind of leader is he going to be? I can tell you this. He will not be beholden to a donkey or an elephant. He is the Lamb of God and a lion at the same time. Come on, somebody. And his throne is built on righteousness and justice. I've got news for you. Listen to me. Everybody wants a king like Jesus because he's good, because he's amazing. And he's not going to rule, you know, as, as a dictator and, and people. No, they're going to love Jesus. They're going to love him. They're going to love the one that they had pierced, the one who's both a lion and a lamb at the same time. He's going to be loved. And we're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to rule and reign. And guess, guess where he's going to rule and reign from? Not D.C., not New York, not Shanghai, not Hong Kong, not Paris, not London. He's going to rule from his capital, the city of Jerusalem, the city of the great king. Come on. Yeah. And then the eighth event is the last rebellion. The last rebellion, Revelations 20, verse 7 through 10, is the last rebellion. Some scholars believe that there'll be people born during that millennial reign of Christ. And because God wants to give everyone a choice, 
Because God is always about choices. Don't let the world lie to you and tell you that with God you don't have a choice. It's just the opposite. With the devil, you have no choice. But with God, he asks you. He tells you, choose. You could choose life. You could choose death. You could choose blessing. You could, you could choose. And God is a God that gives us choice. And during that, during that time period, there's going to be one last great rebellion where people will choose. Do they want to continue to follow King Jesus or do they want their own way, their own path, and there'll be, uh, there'll be a great rebellion, and uh, Satan will be cast into, into uh, he'll be basically defeated forever, the Antichrist and all of that will be completely done, and then the ninth event is the great white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment. You and I won't be a part of that if you're a follower of Jesus, but this is when the dead and living are judged at the great white throne judgment. Those that have rejected Jesus will be judged. I remember a number of years ago, uh, Katie Couric was interviewing, interviewing Billy Graham, and Billy Graham was saying something similar to this, and Katie Couric paused, dumbfounded, and said, wait a minute, Billy, are you saying that God is judgmental? God is going to judge the living and the dead. And that's why we take every opportunity that we can to give people an opportunity to receive Jesus. Not only because we love you, but God loves you. And he doesn't want you to spend an eternity in a hell that was never created for people. And so the white throne judgment is number nine. And then finally, number 10 is eternity. Eternity, Revelations chapter 21 and chapter 22. Eternity, right? So those are the 10, the 10 main events in the book of Revelation. And I just explained to you the last six chapters of Daniel, 22 chapters in the book of Revelation. And we'll, we still have an hour to go. Come on, somebody. Woo, we did it. So that's how it all plays out. That's how it all plays out. And it's good to study it's good to have your graphs, have your charts, but listen, how will it change my life? How would all of this change my life? How do I live in light of this? How do I apply this to my life? Daniel chapter 12, let's turn there. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael, who's an archangel, he's the one in charge of war and answering prayers. You see him doing that in, in the Bible. The great prince who protects your people will arise and there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise... In my Bible, I've underlined and circled that word wise. Those who are wise, what will they do in the world's darkest moment? They will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness, what's that mean? It's what, it's what happens whenever you and I give over and above the tithe to build God's kingdom, we are leading many to righteousness. We are, we are bringing people to the knowledge of God and they're accepting him like the stars of the heaven forever and ever. But you, Daniel, I want you to close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there and, he, and, and, and God continues to give more signs. Many will go here and there to increase in knowledge. 
Many will go here and there. Some translation says to and fro. And we're living in a day where travel has, be, has, has exponentially grown like never before. If you've ever wondered why there's a town, uh, especially in larger states like te Texas, every 25 to 30 miles, you want to know why there's a town every 25 to 30 miles? Because that's as far as people could travel, and then they needed to stop and get rest. But today, if I leave the service today and hop on a plane, I can be in Shanghai in 15 hours. Because travel has increased exponentially. Knowledge has increased exponentially. Listen, it was only scientists say that knowledge didn't even double for the first time until about 200 years ago. Think about that. 200 years ago, from the beginning of time up to 200 years ago, that's how long it took for knowledge to double. They go on to say that it doubled again 50 years later. And then again 30, 30 years later. And now scientists say that knowledge doubles, listen, every 18 to 24 months. Knowledge is increasing. Let's continue reading in verse 8 of Daniel 12. I love Daniel's, <laughs> I, I love his, uh, his honesty. Daniel says, I heard what you said, but I don't understand what you meant. That's a great refrigerator verse for any husband here today. I know what she said, but I don't understand what she meant. <laughs> Daniel said, I, I, I heard you, but I don't understand it. So I asked, how will all this finally end, my Lord? But he said, go now, Daniel, for what I have said is kept secret and sealed until the time of the end. That's a powerful statement. Why is that important? Because here we are today. In 2019, and we are unsealing something that God told Daniel, I want you to seal up. It's a secret. And you are hearing, probably for one of the first times in your life, something that has been kept secret for thousands of years intentionally by God until God said the end of the age. I want to submit to you. That what you have up here in front of you is not just an excited Puerto Rican preacher. But there is a prophetic unction of the Holy Ghost to look at an end time generation. To say something is being revealed today because we are that generation. That's getting ready to usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And God wants his church not to be asleep. Not to be unwise. Not to be unready. But he wants his church to be ready. To be wise. And to get into action. Come on somebody. And there is an unsealing that's taking place. There's an understanding that is happening within the church today. God told Daniel, Daniel said, I don't get any of this. When, it's, when is it all going to happen? I'm seeing stuff, 490 years worth of prophetic events, and I don't get any of it. I don't get that Messiah is coming and then he's going to die. How is Messiah going to be cut off? I thought when he showed up, that'd be it. He was a good Jewish boy. How is Messiah going to come? Isaiah the prophet will prophesy that Messiah will be Ben Yosef, that he will be the suffering servant, but at the same time he'll be Ben David, the son of David. He'll be conquering king. And no one expected that he would come and then leave and then come again. Daniel was saying, I don't get any of this. 
And here we are, a generation that is able to take the seal off the scroll and peer into its mysteries and through the grace of God receive understanding. We are privileged to be living in a day where God is not hiding his mysteries or secrets, but he's revealing them for a reason. Amen. Hallelujah. Verse 10, he goes on to say, many will be purified, cleansed, refined by these trials. But the wicked will continue in their wickedness, and none of them will understand. They won't get it. They'll see the signs, but not be able to read them. Only those who are wise will know what it means. And that's what I'm appealing to all of you. From the time the daily sacrifice is stopped, that's in the middle of the seven year of tribulation, and the sacrilegious object that causes desecration is set up to be worshipped, there will be 1,290 days, friends, to the day, that's three, three and a half years. And blessed are those who wait and remain until the end of the 1,335 days. As for you, Daniel... Go your way until the end. You will rest. And then at the end of the days, you will rise again to receive the inheritance set aside for you. So, this is how the book of Daniel ends. He's saying, Daniel, don't be afraid. Rest. You will rise again. Be wise, but don't be afraid. If you go to study it for yourself, Matthew 24... 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul, 2nd Peter, chapter 3. It all talks about the end times. You can read about it even this week. But all three come to the same conclusion. All three do. That Jesus is coming again. And that the seven years yet to be fulfilled shall be fulfilled. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring some application. I'm going to share three things with you. And I want you to write all three things down, and then we'll wrap things up and partake of communion. But I want you to turn to, in your Bibles one more place, or just look up on the screen. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. In other words, you won't be able to predict it. So stop spending your energy in trying to figure out when. Spend your energies somewhere else. Right? I mean, if you knew that a thief was coming to your home, you'd be awake and ready. Right? Um, so the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Verse 11, this is, this is the key. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, here's the question. What kind of people ought you to be? In light of everything that I've just shared with you this morning, you know how it's going to end. You know all of the future events that the Bible prophesies about. What kind of people ought you to be? And he goes on to say, you ought to live holy, which holy does not mean perfect. It simply means separated. You are to live separated lives. You should be distinct, godly, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. How can I speed its coming? By being a part of the generation that makes it a goal that there is not another, un, there's not one unreached people group remaining on planet Earth today. 
that we do our part. Here are three things I want to share with you very quickly, and I want you to write these down because this is, this, is, this is how we ought to live. This is what we do with what we've just heard. Number one, it's this. Follow God, not culture. Follow God, not culture. Because listen to me. If you don't remember anything else from this message, remember this. Culture changes. God doesn't. Culture changes. God doesn't. Culture changes. God doesn't. Build your generation. Listen to me. Culture changes. God doesn't. Baby boomers. Culture changes. God doesn't. Gen Xers. Culture changes. God doesn't. Millennials. Culture changes. God doesn't. Generation Z. Culture changes. God doesn't. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not lowered his standard just because we disagree with it. God is still God. God is coming back again. God is good. Culture changes. God doesn't. And so the question is, when culture changes, will you? Will you change to fit culture? Or will you continue to follow and worship God? Even when it gets hard, even when it gets difficult, even when everyone else surrounds you is bowing the knee to culture. And I feel like the spirit of the age, like a Pied Piper, has lulled so many to sleep. And he's taking them off into destruction, not knowing that the road that they're traveling on leads to destruction. And the spirit of the age, as it plays its hypnotic lullaby, a gospel mixed with secular humanism, a gospel that gives you everything yet costs you nothing, a pseudo-Jesus that's nice enough to save you, but not powerful enough to set you free. Who has bewitched you, foolish Galatians, to turn aside from the gospel that was presented to you, to miss the power of his death, burial, and resurrection? Jesus is real. Jesus is alive. Jesus, Kanye is not the only one saying it. I'm saying it this morning. Jesus is king, and he is coming back again for a church that is ready. Follow God, not culture. Number two, write this down. Be ready for Christ's return. Church, listen to me. Be ready. Why is, this, why is this a challenge in Scripture? Because the tendency for us is to not be ready. God doesn't waste words. Every word matters in this book. And when he says, church, be ready, 
be ready because the tendency for us is to not be ready. And we often don't live ready lives because we think that this life is all that there is. This is it. And we live life like this is it. We only get one shot. We only get one life. And we do not live lives in light of eternity. That not only do you have an eternity, but every person around you has an eternity. And when compared to this lifetime, this life, the Bible says, is but a vapor. Be ready for Christ's return. Jesus is coming. Well, how long is it going to take? It's been 2,000 years since he's been here. When's he coming back? I've been hearing this for years. 75 years ago, there was no nation of Israel. We're the first generation to experience every, time, every sign in one moment simultaneously. Every article of worship for the temple to be rebuilt is already in place. The love of many have grown cold. The church is asleep. Awake, awake, O oh sleeper. Awake, church, be ready for the soon coming Christ. Matthew says, therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And finally, number three, make the most of this life. Make the most of this life. Make the most of it. Because listen, we live in a great country. We live in a great country. We are blessed as a nation. But understand that this life is not about this life. This life is not about this life. This life is about making the biggest difference you can for that life. Not only for you, but for others around you. And understand that we're living in the greatest generation and the greatest moment in human history. We are the generation that God is allowing for those scrolls and those mysteries to be unsealed, to understand and to be wise, to know what times we're living in so that we know what we can do. We're living in a generation of not only Jesus Christ's soon return, but we're living in an end-time harvest generation. That's what excites me. I'm not looking at Generation Z and the generations to come and saying, oh boy, they're going to have a heck of a world to deal with. No, God is wanting us to raise up young men and women that are as bold as lions, that have the kind of dignity as an eagle, that love people and that serve. Because I believe God is going to bring a revival that's going to sweep many into the kingdom kingdom around the world and in our region you can't see it but I can see it I can see us having a set of chairs in the aisles I can see us talking to the fire marshal because he's saying there's too many people in here well then blow open the walls because people are coming to Jesus because the gospel of the kingdom is setting them free come on somebody God needs an awakened church. Church, you got to be woke. You got to be woke. You got to be awakened. You got to live generously. You got to live generously. You got to live holy lives. You got to live holy lives. 
You got to live holy lives. You got to live holy lives. You've got to stop committing fornication. You got to stop committing adultery. You got to stop gossiping. You've got to stop lying. You've got to stop stealing. You got to stop lusting over other people in your heart. You got to stop coveting. You've got to stop it. You've got to live in covenant with one another. Because culture changes, but God doesn't. Culture changes, but God doesn't. And I don't need all of you to agree with me. I just need about four or five of you that will say, Pastor, we're going to do our part. Let me end by saying this, because i got to close. i got to close. Because I love you. I love you. If you've been on the fence with Jesus, if you've been living life with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, that, that has to stop. That has to stop. It has to end. There's too much at stake. There's too much at stake. Your eternal soul is at stake. Jesus is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. And you can't play games with God. You can't do church on Sunday and live like you want to live on Monday. It's got to end. And Jesus loves you so much that he's given you an opportunity to turn at his rebuke. And he'll cause his precious Holy Spirit to come upon you. And the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth. He'll write his law in your heart. You can't follow Jesus and sin at the same time. So follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and you'll walk away from sin. God is looking for a church that's all in. You're all in. Heart, soul, mind, body. God is looking for a church who understand that our bodies are like living sacrifices only to experience the beauty and gift of sex in a married covenantal relationship between a man and his wife. You're not to just give your body to any person. God wants you to hear these words that prick your heart because tickling ears will only send church attenders into an eternity without God. He wants you to give your life completely over to Him, your finances, your world, your future, your children, your marriage, all that you are. He wants all. He wants all. If you're here today, we're going to give every person an opportunity to receive prayer today and, and get things right with God. And just before we do that, here's what we're going to do. We're going to partake of communion right now. You might say, well, Pastor, how does this fit? Oh, it fits perfectly. Perfectly. Listen, you don't have to be a member of Victory to receive communion this morning. Many of you already received it on the way in. If you want to partake of communion, you're a follower of Jesus, and you want to partake of this moment, slip your hand up, and our ushers will serve you if you don't have a cup. Come on, slip them up quickly, ushers. 
Thank you for serving our people. We're going to partake of communion. Everyone hold it. Go ahead and start peeling back that clear, that clear part. And take the bread out, the little wafer. Represents the body of Christ. And then pull back the foil to reveal the cup, the contents in the cup. That represents his blood. Okay. Once you've done that, I want to make sure everyone's served right over here. Hold the bread, hold the cup. We're going to partake together in just a moment, so just hold on to them. Don't, don't eat it or drink it just yet. During the last Passover Seder that Jesus would have with his disciples, we know it as the Last Supper. Jesus, during that moment, he took the bread, he took the cup, and one of the things that he said to his disciples, he said, we're not going to do this again until, until, we're not going to have this moment again in the flesh with me, until, until when? Until I return. And then we're going to sit down and have a big meal together. The marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to drink of the cup again. You won't see me again, Jesus said. I won't sit at this table like this again with you in the flesh. But in the marriage supper of the Lamb, you'll be there and we'll, we'll, do, this, we'll do this again. That's what Jesus said. And so that means that not only is communion remembering what Jesus did. Communion is not only remembering who Jesus was. What Jesus was telling to his disciples, when I leave, I'll be absent, but I want you to continue to do this in remembrance of me. What did he mean? Not only about my time with you, but I want you to partake of communion to remember what I've told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you so that when I come again, I'm going to take you there. I'm coming back. So when you partake of communion, don't just look back. I want you to look forward. I want you to look forward anticipating my soon return. I want you to understand that every time you partake of communion, what you're saying is, Jesus, we believe what you said, and we believe what you did, but we believe what you're going to do. We believe that you're coming back. We believe that you've not forgotten about us. We believe that we're still your bride, and we believe that we'll do this again at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Isn't that beautiful? That's what communion is. We remember the Lord. Not just who he was, but who he is and who he shall be. Amen? And so we hold these elements, the bread representing his body. The Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake together. Thank you, Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together.
Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet this morning. As we stand to our feet, I want to, very still, if everyone can remain very still, we're closing in a few seconds. But if our prayer team can come right now, and honey, if you could join me as well. As our prayer team is coming, if you're here and you need prayer for any reason, any reason at all, we want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. Listen, you don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer. We all need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. If you need prayer for any reason, you just come and receive prayer. But listen to me. Listen to me very, very carefully. If you're here and you're far from God, you don't know Jesus, or you're playing a game that you think God is oblivious to, He is not. And for your sake, I encourage you today to join all the others that are going to come for prayer in just a moment. And when you do, you tell somebody on this prayer team, I want to get my life right with Jesus. And when you do, they're going to pray for you. They're going to pray with you, and God is going to do a miracle in your life. So if you're here and you're far from God, today is the day that that ends. Today is the day that you put an end to games and you take the mask off, and today is the day for a decision. And so at the end of this blessing, at the end of this blessing, anyone who needs prayer and those of you who want to come to Jesus, you just come down and receive prayer. Keep your eyes open as we bless you today. Victory Christian Center. I bless you today in the name of Jesus. I bless you to display the exceptional qualities of your King in and through your life into the world around you. You are powerful. You are holy. You are separate. You are peculiar. You are a nation of priests. You are prophetic and not pathetic. You are powerful. You're bold as lions. Wise as serpents. Gentle as doves. You are separated. You are not fearful. For you have not received that spirit. But you've received power, love, and a sound mind. You are wise. Like men of Issachar, you understand the times and you know how you should live. Leave here today. Leave here today with God in your hearts, His Word in your mouth, His Spirit flowing through you, His love in your heart. Leave here to challenge everyday people in your world, your school, your job, your community, and your family to experience every victory in Jesus. Leave here knowing that you are loved. In Jesus' name we bless you. Amen and amen. Come on, if you need prayer for any reason, just come. We want to pray for you.